the story doesn't matter. And what matters is the truth of your deep voice, not your entertaining voice, not your voice that you're trying to sound interesting. This is an encore episode of one of our favorite shows from season one. Being a mother is an attitude, not biology. An unknown writer once said, if you give me any three words, I'll write you a story about my mother. Story is in our DNA, and of course, so is she. We gathered stories from men and women in all walks of life. Stories about the ones we have, the ones we are, the ones we know. This includes stories about stepmothers, godmothers, grandmothers, birth moms, foster moms, the mom up the street. It includes stories about not being a mom and stories about mothering in other ways. No matter how you slice it, if it's not one thing, it's your mother. Hi, everybody. I'm Lupe Padilla Mitchell. I'm a life coach of mothers and families and a mother of three adult daughters. I'm Katie Mitchell, actress, writer, storyteller, and mom of a teenage son. Hi, everybody. So today is part two of the Jack Grapes episodes. Last week, he read the poem he wrote about his mother. And this week, we're just going to continue our talk, which led us into the area of turning our pain into art, our grief, our heartbreak, etc. And because we talk about two of the poets that have already been guests on the show, we are sharing a little bit of their poems in the middle of this interview. The first share will be Chanel Brenner's, and the second one is from Alexis Roan Fancher. And you can find out everything you need to know about all the writers on our website. If it's not one thing, it's yourmother.com. I would love, because you are one of the renowned writing teachers, certainly in Los Angeles, and anybody who's listened to more than one of our podcasts has definitely fallen into the lap of someone who's passed through Jack's doors. And if you would like to dispute that, remember our number is 555. (laughs) Shut up. Anyway, (laughs) um, just give the listeners a sense of how they too can, even in their journaling, drop into a more personal, honest, deeper place. Well, I I guess first of all, at least what I've found I had to do in my classes is convince people that that was important because everyone is anxious to tell their story. And whether you live in L.A. or not, and L.A. tends to magnify this, you want to entertain people. And so if you put together your wanting to tell the story with the idea of wanting to entertain, you've got two strikes against you. Because the bottom line is, nobody cares about your story. What they care about is who you are. If they care about who you are, then they will care about your story. And if they don't care about who you are, your story is just a lot of crap. So you have that one thing, this this reliance you might have on your story. And the second thing is this need to be entertaining. Come on, you've been to parties before. You've, you've run into people who talk to you and you know that they're trying to be interesting. Have you ever run into those kind of people, the drink in their hand or a joint in their hand, and they're trying to be interesting? And, yeah. Well, they're trying to be interesting. Yeah. And they are as B-O-R-I-N-G as you can get. They're boring. So you've got to convince people that the story doesn't matter and what matters is the truth of your deep 
voice, not your entertaining voice, not your voice that you're trying to sound interesting. And that's what most writers do when they write their stories. They come from a voice that's very chit-chatty or, oh, listen to my story. I got a great story. It began one stormy night and, oh, I'm going to have a lot of fancy words and, right. oh, it'll be interesting and there'll be things happening. And oh, I learned in one con- uh, writing class, you have to have a conflict. So I'm going to have a conflict. Like if you write from your deep voice, there won't be a conflict. Exactly. Your whole life is a conflict. It's a conflict trying to figure out who the hell you are and why you are here and what your purpose is and that love will find you even when you stop looking for it. That's the conflict. And if you just forget the story and write from a deep and true place, the rest will take care of itself. Now, I know method writing has a lot of stuff after the rest, and I show you a lot of techniques and a lot of concepts, but that's the beginning of it. And so I have a device that helps people get to the deep voice. Uh, It's called the transformation line, and I, I explained it in my classes. I was in my laboratory one day, and I mixed a little chlorine with a little phosphorus, and I threw in a little piece of uranium, and boom, the test tube blew up, and out came the transformation line. And it, it kind of works, but it doesn't work like a knife that's sitting on a table. It works like a knife that you have to pick up and actually use to cut the melon open. So the transformation line is a tool that you, if you are open and you are ready to be authentic, it will help you get even more authentic. And from that, your story will emerge. And then I show students how to make your story better, how to create visual cinematic moments, and how to create tonal dynamics, which is another term I discovered in my laboratory when I was mixing things together, you know, throwing a little witch's brew and other stuff into the kettle that was foaming and bubbling. Uh, But these will all make you a better writer, but at the heart of it is the deep voice and the transformation line. Um, Some people who have studied under you and we've interviewed for the podcast have uh, pain that they went through and, and that's how they ended up writing or they were started to write and then had the loss of a child or whatever. So Mm -hmm. Chanel Brenner, when we were speaking with her, I was like, is there not a, like, there should be a writing group specifically for this. Like, this is how one can grieve and and, um, express your grief. And Alexis uh, had mentioned that she, she knew she had to grieve in public. I I love that line. Mm -hmm. She, she said she knew she had to do that. And there's something very, you, you, you hear them heal through their writing kind of, you, you hear it their transition and their ability to cleanse themselves, or I don't even know what how to say that. Um, what's your experience with how, I mean, I'm sure they are not the only two people you have helped through a transition in their life. Well, I, I, I don't want to say I have helped them through a transition. I would rather say that poetry and writing helps one through a transition. Uh, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a healer. I'm not a. That's that's not my object in my classes. My object in my classes is to help people write better, and write work that's authentic and truly matters, not just to them but to the reader. Uh, there's always some kind of grief. There's always some kind of loss. 
um, we turn our losses and our griefs and our experiences into art, and that's what our job is as artists. So I, I'm not there to heal people or to help people grieve or anything. To, to me, that's, uh, that, that's not what I do, and I don't want to claim that I do that. I want you to write better and, and, and maybe affect the reader. Maybe you'll, you'll heal the reader. Maybe you will help the reader with their grief. Mm -hmm. But I'm not here yes. to help you with your grief. I'm here to help you write better. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yes, there have been a lot of people who have dealt with things, uh, death of a, a parent, death of a child, the death of a lover, death of a you know, husband, um, a death friend. Death of the marriage. The, the death of the marriage. I mean, that, that's, um, that, that, that's a big corpse that mm -hmm. we carry around, that, that, that first or maybe second or whatever marriage. That's, that's a big corpse that we carry around. Uh, but as part of our DNA as human beings, there is loss, there is death. Death is the first great loss and grief of our humanity, and that is one of the great losses and griefs that we're going to have in our life no matter how you try to avoid it. I'm sorry, there's going to be death, or, whether it's the death of a marriage or the death of a loved one. So that's, they're going to write about grief, but I'm not teaching them to do that. I'm teaching them to make art. So uh, I, I want to be clear about that, that one can write poems and stories in order to heal, and it may not be great art. Because when I am in my therapist's office, and I am talking about the death of my father, and how that loss was so huge for me, that even after he died, I carried that burden with me for about 10 or 15, maybe 20 years before I finally got to where I was able to, to, to deal with it. When I'm telling my therapist about that, she doesn't say to me, I had a woman therapist, she doesn't say to me, gee, you know, if you put the part about when you were in Europe first, and then maybe that sentence about you didn't understand him totally, maybe you could break that into two sentences and put that at the end. My therapist doesn't respond to me that way. She's not responding to what I said as a work of art. She's, and it's probably not a good work of art. Right. It's just me, blah, 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 blah. You know, I need, I need, I need. You know that movie, uh, uh, what's that movie with Bill Murray and what's his name? <laughs> he goes, I need, I need, I need. So you can, writing can help you heal, but it doesn't mean you're creating art. So if you want to create art with the pain and the grief you have, this means while you're expressing your pain and grief, you also have to be paying attention to things like the transformation line or the image moment that I also teach, cinematic elements, tonal dynamics, all of that stuff. So it's a little different. Yeah. And when you're lucky, when you're lucky like Alexis or Chanel, then the work you write that comes from your grief ends up being a work of art. And right. so that's, that's good. And, you know, maybe, maybe I, I had some hand in focusing Chanel and Alexis on how to do that. But I wasn't teaching them how to process their grief. I was teaching them how to write good poetry. I haven't seen my stepdaughters since my son's funeral in 2007. When people ask, I say nice things about the girls as if we had a relationship. When people ask if I have children, I change the subject or I lie and say no. Or sometimes I put them on the spot and tell them yes, but he died. 
They look aghast and want to know what happened. Then I have to tell them about the cancer. Sometimes when the older daughter, his favorite, is in town and she and my husband are out together night after night, I wonder what it would be like if that was me and my boy, if life was fair, and rather than my husband having two children and I none, we each had one living child. His choice, which one to keep. When you do allow yourself to get still, to go to a deeper place, to use the tools that you teach us, it, it, it breathes life into you in a way that you can't get through therapy because you're creating art at the same time you're cracking open into those deeper places. Does that make sense? Oh, it, it's not about making sense. It's an absolute truth. And, and, and there's really something important about that, that um, most people want to get rid of their grief. Mm -hmm. Most people want to, you know, stop grieving. It's been 20 years. Live your life. You know, your mother's been dead 50 years. Forget about it, you know. Your father's been dead. Get over it. Mm -hmm. um, artists don't get rid of it. Mm -mm. They don't get rid of their grief because that's like saying to, to someone, get rid of the gold. Mm -hmm. The gold or your is... Arm. Or your arm. <laughs> I mean, this is what you... This is your gold. This is what you have as an artist to make art out of. So there's a funny thing. You might go to therapy to deal with the grief, but you're not there to get rid of it. You're there to somehow, uh, at least in terms of mental health, tolerate it. I mean, that's the idea of, of basic therapy. Now, I'm not talking about a disorder. I'm just saying general neuroses and stuff like that. You have to learn how to tolerate certain feelings so mm -hmm. that you can go on with your work mm -hmm. when when your inability to tolerate feelings make you stay in bed all day and not go to work and not do what you have to do uh therapy helps you tolerate it but here we're not just tolerating it we're making art out of it so that's a different thing so you're, you're never that far from your grief and your loss and your pain and your your wounds you, but you got to make art out You're of it. You're painting with it. Or You're painting whatever. with it, right? I, I, Which I, means that ah, here's the trick. When you're making art, you're a surgeon. And when you cut open the body of your grief, and when you cut open the body of your pain and your loss, when you do that, you're a surgeon making art. And if you get too caught up in the grief and are not paying attention to the surgery, then you're going to end up with a dead body, which is of use to nobody. So here's the trick. The artist, the poet, the playwright, the filmmaker, the, the, play, you know, the screenwriter, you've got to be with your grief and your, your pain, but you can't forget what you learned as a surgeon. Otherwise, you'll botch the operation. If I'm lying on the table, even if I'm under anesthesia, I don't want that surgeon crying when he's <laughs> opening me up and... and I've had open heart surgery, and he's putting my heart back in. I, I don't want him crying. Oh, it reminds me of my father when he died. I'm going, hey, pal, do your job, okay? Let's see. we we got to put the heart back in, right? And then you're going to connect the tubes and the valves. So just just do your job, okay? Don't don't get hysterical. You know, that's yeah. what I want from an artist. I don't want them to, to just blubber and flub. Wow, that was a good blubber flub, flubber. I don't want the, 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 the artist to, to flub this work of art. 
because I'm hooked not just on the emotion, I'm hooked on this work of art that works in mysterious ways. You don't know what a filmmaker, uh, what a poet, what a prose writer, the mechanics of what they're doing to make you involved. All the stuff, in a movie, the lighting and the costume, all you want to see is the spectacle. But behind that spectacle is the artist, the surgeon, and you don't want them to screw it up because otherwise it's just a movie about death. The title of the piece is Trying to Get Pregnant After the Death of a Child. I'm still pissed off at the therapist we saw three weeks after Riley died. The way she lectured us on the stages of grief as if we faced an exam. When I told her we wanted to have another child, she said, it's too soon to think about it, maybe in a few years. I'm 41, I have to think about it. Well, we can't talk about that today. My stoicism masked my anger, or she ignored it. While I focused on her immaculate desk, void of photos, just a framed print of a rainbow over the words, and when it rains on your parade, look up rather than down. Without the rain, there would be no rainbow. Sherry Chin. So I want that artist to, to be a good surgeon, and that's the difference. Well, that's definitely um, the people who have worked with you and did our podcast they they were good that's surgeons that's what they bring to their mm -hmm. i mean because it's i they are felt i mean me as just being an uh, a listener observer of their work i'm i was just blown away and that's the idea the object is to heal you or blow you away it may not heal the writer right. it may not blow them away because they're busy operating they're busy cutting out the heart and putting in a new one. They're busy sewing you up. Right. Mm -hmm. such That's a, so interesting. Such a beautiful ending. I, I'm not going to end there, but it's such a beautiful place to end. <laughs> I don't want to end there. Uh, I just want to say this. I can have lunch brought in and we can <laughs> okay, great. talk into the night. I, I've told many people this story. Um, I was at a picnic luncheon, somebody's party, and the hostess, I said to her, have you had work done? What the hell? You look amazing. And I'm telling you, she looked 10 years younger. And she went, no. And she went, oh, I'm taking a writing class. <laughs> and I said, what? She goes, it has changed my life. And I'm whose class is it? She's like, Jack Grapes. And I'm like, Jack Grapes, this is the 15th time. So how many times do I have to hear Jack Grapes? I'm signing up. And I signed up literally the next day. I sent you an email, and here I am. Oh, that's how you got to my class. That's how I got to your class. Ah. She well, wanted you, work well, done. But Katie, I have to tell you, you look 20 years younger. <laughs> See, that's a good place. Well, actually, I'm a little bit of a Dorian Gray. In other words, my students get younger, I get older. I don't agree with that. <laughs> I don't agree with that at all. In fact, while you were talking, I was thinking, Jack looks so young. That's what triggered me to think, oh, yeah, I remember being at her party. And I thought that. Anyway. Well... <laughs> oh, you know, we're all in this together. You know, I, we're all just trying to do our best to get through this life and to make some meaning out of it. And whether we're going to be painters or writers or whatever, whatever it is that we find meaning. When I'm in that class and you're there and you're trying to write and I'm trying to teach, I mean, you know, it's nice that there are people that think 
pay me compliments. But we're just doing our best. We're mm-hmm. just trying to get through it. You know, we're just doing our best. It's, mm-hmm. it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal, you know. All right. I adore you. I adore you. I think we covered everything, don't I we? think we covered everything. Thank you so much for doing our podcast. Well, I'm very flattered that you wanted to talk to me. I appreciate we'll it. We'll just come back on a weekly basis. We'll just include you. You'll have a little, um, well, that's it. We'll send you every story, and then you'll have a little follow-up, sort of like, who was the guy that used to be on 60 Minutes? Andy Rooney. You'll be yes, our Andy Rooney. The, oh, my gosh, you'd be a perfect Andy Rooney for us. Well, if we do that, then I think we should do it in different locations. No, we should do one while I'm driving in the car, you know, yes. so this will be like a teachers yes, yes. and poets in cars. Oh, then we can do one at the park on perfect. a merry-go-round. Perfect. Um, we could we, we could do one standing in line for a rock concert. Yeah, you know Starbucks. Fine, a Starbucks that would be a good one. Ralph's. Oh, we got to go to Ralph's get a chicken. Got to get a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> That's an inside joke. And for any Jack Graves students who are listening, you know what that means. Mm. It's the roasted chicken, I'm guessing. Uh, no, it doesn't have to be cooked. <laughs> 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 Rob, okay. <laughs> yeah, the, the 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 state of um of the chicken is not what's important. There you go. No, it's the giblets that count. <laughs> Gross. Gross. All right. That's our show. Take care. Bye bye. And to find out more about our writers, go to our website, Instagram, or Twitter. If it's not one thing, it's your mother. And that's the number one, not the word one. Want to do something to help us? Go wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review us. Five stars would be nice. You can say something complimentary. Because you know what? It really does help other people find our show. And also share us with a friend because word of mouth is the best compliment.